what I've come to like realize as I, I sit with that, that saying over the last year or two is like, if you get the first 18 summers, right, so to speak, or that first 18 years of that relationship, right, you have there's, there's a lot of beautiful things when your children are 20, 25, 30, 35, like the relationship shifts. Um, it's just very hard to have a relationship with your child when they're 30, if you didn't get the first 18 years, right. Welcome to the Leading to Legacy podcast, where we explore the stories and lessons of successful individuals who strive to leave an enduring impact on future generations. I'm your host, Chris Carey, and I've dedicated my life to seeking wisdom and understanding from some of the most accomplished individuals in the world. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the lives of our guests, uncovering the trials, tribulations, and triumphs that have shaped their personal and professional journeys. We'll discuss their motivations, their fears, and the valuable lessons they've learned along the way. Our goal is to inspire you, our listeners, to lead a life that not only achieves personal success, but leaves a lasting legacy for those who follow in your footsteps. Today, I am delighted to welcome my good friend, Jason Gaynard, to the show. Jason is the founder and head curator of MMT, or Mastermind Talks, an amazing community of entrepreneurs that I am incredibly grateful to be a part of. He is also the host of the Community Made podcast and best-selling author of Mastermind Dinners, where he shares his experience in building lifelong relationships by connecting experts, influencers, and linchpins. I hope you enjoy our wide-ranging conversation. Let's get to it. Jason, super excited to have you join us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, I've got my co-host, Ben, uh, with me as well, and uh, excited to dive in and and learn a little bit more uh, about Jason, your philosophy. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your your family and um, Ava. Yeah, my family unit. So I have a wife of 11 years and we get along famously. And I can say that because I know what not getting along looks like. Um, And uh, I have a daughter, Ava. She's 11. And we have another 33 additions to our family. We have chickens, cows, (laughs) sheep, Um, so it's a it's a busy household, um, but, uh, well, yeah, that's my family unit, so to speak. Nice. Yeah. I love watching your, your, uh, social media updates and, and all the happenings on the farm. It's been, been very cool to watch your journey. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting phase of life that I found myself in that I never thought I, I would have. I grew up in city and hustling was a, a big part of, uh, my DNA. So to be able to kind of create space and just be on the land and be a steward to animals is yeah, was not expecting it, but it's honestly, it's, it's really interesting. Anytime I find myself in a networking environment now, uh, for example, I was at a book launch for two friends yesterday in Toronto and people inevitably, entrepreneurs ask me about the farm far more than they ask me about business. It is uh, the idea of having a homestead and being self-sufficient and all that kind of stuff definitely, definitely speaks to a lot of people in our peer group. So Jason, are you, are you totally off the grid? Uh, I mean, pretty close to it. Uh, we are, um, yeah, one needs to define what is off the grid. We also have pretty aggressive seasons similar to, to what you guys have in Minnesota. So we can't grow all year round, but to me, we have cows and cows is like the biggest insurance that if things ever hit the fan, we have like, I have cows in the field (laughs) to, to feed us if need be. So they're pets right now. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we're pretty off the grid and it's incredible how much I've learned, um, about, farming, growing, you know, 
all that kind of stuff, homesteading in general over the last two to three years. And if I didn't have access to YouTube, uh, I'd have a lot of dead animals on my hands. I've, I've, I've been leaning into this with like quick start energy. Like if you do the Colby assessment, um, I'm all quick start. I'm like a nine or a 10 quick start. And I got I got cows and the minute they got delivered, I'm like, how do you keep these things alive? Uh, and I just started referring to YouTube. So uh, yep. it's been, well, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Where Where is your homestead, Jason? Or how many acres are you on? We're at 57. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, very, uh, very cool. Yeah. At one point in time, that felt like huge. And then I want to tell people that like, that's a lot of land. But as you know, we, we, we always think bigger and more <laughs> just by default. So I'm like 57 acres is tiny, but it, it works for us. What do you think? I mean, there's got to be. So we talked in episode one, um, Ben actually grew up on a farm and he thinks that a, a oh, lot wow. of his success in life can be attributed to what he learned through that experience. Do you think that that Ava's, you know, extracting some value from farm life at all or? Well, I think you can draw inspiration and learnings from almost any environment. Um, and farming specifically uh, is, yeah, it is, uh, it's taught me a lot and it's taught her a lot as well. I mean, just even observing chickens and how they interact. It gives you a really good understanding of how social social hierarchies play out in the world and human behavior um, and power dynamics and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday that uh, from a minimum effective dose perspective, like months of April and May are the busiest months on the farm. And if you don't get the work done in those two months, um, you'll spend the rest of the year trying to play catch up. Um, yeah. So it's the importance of like, you know, prioritization and that kind of stuff. Also, one thing I've, I've learned a lot through farming, um, when you have a farm and you're always building things, like two thirds of your time is building things, a third of your time is like fixing things that have recently broke. And, um, you know, one of the realizations there, it's helped me with my perfection. Uh, like, and just being like perfectionist, because you can't be a perfectionist on the farm. There's way too much to do. Um, and yeah, so I, I personally learn a ton. My daughter learns a ton. Um, it's been just a beautiful space for us. And thankfully, we got the the farm before the pandemic, because I've had friends, you know, that lived in a 900 square foot apartment with three kids in New York. And I could not fathom how they navigated that. So um, yeah, there's lots of learnings, lots and lots of learnings. So, so I think that prompts a, a really interesting question to kind of just kick off this whole thing and not to maybe make the whole podcast about your farm or <laughs> farming or whatever. Uh, but I think that's really interesting. So you said, obviously, you didn't grow up on a farm. Um, did, did your wife grow up on a farm? No. <laughs> okay, so, well, yeah, I mean, what was the prompt to move from existing, you know, normal life to now what is considered definitely not normal, definitely uh, a minority minority percentage and you moved to a farm on a basically completely off-grid deal what, what was the reasoning and and what was the what was the ambition behind that yeah so i mean the, the short version of it i grew up in major cities and lived in condos and that kind of stuff so that was very much the the environment i uh i grew up in and then uh ultimately we uh lived in a normal community at one point in time and uh I mean, taking care of our property was, I was so bad at it that I actually, I mean, I had a, probably a parcel of grass that was like a thousand square feet. I got a citation from the city to cut my grass. Uh, like that's how bad I was at maintaining <laughs> what we had. And um, ultimately uh, I was looking for a new rental and found a house on 30 acres. And I'm like, this can go either really, really well or 
be horrible. And I don't know how it's going to go, but it'd be really fun to entertain. And uh, honestly, when we were out there, I was like, this is very much in alignment with my my lifestyle because the work that I do is very social uh, and my cup is very full in that regards. And to have something that's completely the opposite where I can retreat and like completely be alone has been very, um, yeah, very, very nurturing. So uh, we were looking for a farm for a handful of years or, or some kind of parcel of land. And then this came up for sale uh, and it checked a lot of the boxes. And oddly enough, I was in Vegas at the time on a daddy daughter trip, which we do every six months. And my wife was in Ireland at the time doing some personal development. And I told my real estate agent, I'm like, this checks a lot of boxes. Like, let me know if there's any movement on this. And by Monday, he's like, there's already five offers. So I made an offer sight unseen. Um, and when my wife came up and <laughs> came back home and I picked her up from the airport, I'm like, well, surprise, I bought, I bought a farm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so we really, really jumped into it head first and yeah, there's been a, a ton of challenges, but, and, and just beautiful moments. But for me, one of the, the biggest things, a friend of mine, Philip McKernan, many years ago, asked me this question, which was, do you live in a house or a home? And I was like, that is such a stupid question. Um, and I pushed it back kind of right away, which now I've been doing personal development for 20 years. Anytime I push a question away, usually it's because it's landing in some weird way. And it took me years to actually, you know, sit with that question. And what I discovered is ultimately I had never felt a sense of home. Um, and I had been deeply yearning for one. So, uh, the farm has really become that. And I'm at a stage of my life where, you know, there, there was a stage where the four hour work week definitely appealed to me you know, living out of a suitcase, traveling the world, uh, you know, working from anywhere. I'm just at a stage in my life where, uh, you know, feeling deeply committed to the relation with my wife, deeply committed to my daughter, deeply committed to key relationships, and deeply committed to like where I live is is definitely a huge yearning for me. So that's how we found ourselves on the farm. And it's something we've committed to for the next 15 years, which is, again, um, really kind of meaningful. And uh, yeah, that's where we find ourselves. Very cool. That's awesome. Very, very cool. I, I, I got to dive into something you mentioned there, just, you know, casually in passing, uh, a six month daddy daughter trip. Can you tell us about yeah. that? How did you come up with the idea to do that? And how long have you been doing it? And what are some of the, um, you know, experiences that you've had? Well, I think it's that Isaac Newton uh, quote of like, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, I wish I, I came up with that, uh, that, I guess, methodology or philosophy on my own. But uh, it was actually a good mutual friend of ours, Jim Shields, um, that uh, at a, an event, we did our first MMT event in 2013. He did a talk on board meetings, which was this philosophy that every quarter you, you know, you spend time with your, your board and your company, um, taking that same philosophy and applying it to arguably like one of the most important relationships in your life, which is a relationship with your children. And he shared it through the lens of he was a stepfather to two boys and was having a challenging time obviously just kind of integrating and getting things to to move smoothly in that relationship and began this practice of every quarter um, would dedicate a full day with each child individually. Um, and they spend the day together and the child got to pick what they wanted to do. And there would be a morning, uh, sorry, an evening or end of day reflection component to it. And it was deeply inspiring. And it hit me at a perfect time where um, my daughter was six months old, I guess, or around that time. But when she was three years old, I started to do these daddy-daughter trips. And we did them every six months. We've done them every six months. Um, she's 11 now. 
Uh, and they are, I know when I find myself on my deathbed, they'll be one of the top three things I leave behind. Um, specifically I take video clips of our entire experience and then I mash them together in this video montage. And I have, we revisit these videos all the time and it is, it is so enriching for our relationship. Uh, so our last one was in Prince Edward Island about a month ago. We've done Banff, Costa Rica, Vegas, um, and Again, the, the Jim Shields philosophy is like you do a day and you let the kid pick what they want to do. Um, you know, I asked my daughter about a year ago, like, where do you want to go next? And she said, Italy. And I'm like, dude, you're like 10. Like, by the time you're 18, I'm going to have to take you to the moon. Like, you're, we got the key to happiness is low expectations. We got to step it back a little bit. But I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most beautiful things I do um, with as far as our relationship together. So, yeah, I do those every six months. Awesome. Yeah, I, I have a, a family board meetings is one of, I believe, um, in the MMT questionnaire, what, what book have you gifted the most? It's always been family board meetings is way up there. I love sharing that mm-hmm. uh, concept with with any parent that I come across. And I've done it myself. Now, w- when we do them, it's like we're going to the zoo or the trampoline park, you've kind of you're like next level. Um, but that sounds like a, a, an amazing experience to be able to travel and do that with her. Anytime I look at a relationship, sometimes a relationship starts to get a little hairy. Um, and it doesn't, uh, yeah, it doesn't like fire on all cylinders, so to speak. Um, these these trips like just smooth things out for, and that's why the cadence for every six months really works for us. Um, so yeah, I mean, we the last one we did, and she gets to choose what we do on these trips. So when we were in Prince Edward Island, she wanted to do a, a day spa, so we went to like Sephora, and I just gave her my credit card, and I'm like, buy whatever you want. We came back. She later on that night, I had eye mask on me, and she was doing all kinds of spa things. So, uh, yeah, no, they're really meaningful. All right. So now I got it. Now I have to dive into that. You're in Prince Edward Island and you just give her your credit card. How, how do you balance <laughs> Ben and I, Ben and I have had this conversation, I think in both the first two episodes that came up, it's like, how do you, you want to, you know, we're fortunate enough to be able to do something like that. And you want to give your kids things that maybe you didn't have, but also at the same time, there could be, you know, consequences to, you know, a, a them just being able to buy whatever they want and go on these amazing journeys, um, you know, only for them to at some point go out into the real world on their own, live their own lives and maybe not have the ability to do that. You know, have you have you thought about that or had conversations with Candace about that? How do you approach? I don't want to say spoiling your kids versus having them, you know, have to work for some of the things that they want in life. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, uh, I've entitlement is one of the biggest things that comes up in conversation amongst entrepreneurs and trying to Mm -hmm. ensure that they don't quote unquote raise entitled Mm -hmm. children. Um, And I mean, there's friends of mine that like their kids, their first child is in the womb. And this is like their main concern, keeping them up at night. And I don't know, personally, I don't have an answer um, per se. Like we try to balance that we live like a very great life. It's a very privileged life. It's also a life as a result of a lot of hard work. And there's a lot of gratitude in that. Uh, and there's also an awareness, a keen awareness of like how rare that is. And there's uh, an, almost an expectation that goes along with it of sending the elevator back down. So we do a lot of different things from a philanthropy perspective that my daughter is very involved in. So, for example, like our farm, we have 1,400 feet of garden beds. So we produce a lot of food. We don't uh, – everything that we produce uh, above – uh, the needs of our family and our neighbors and that kind of stuff uh, goes to the food bank. And uh, so my daughter's like very intimately involved in that. But 
yeah, the entitlement thing is it's it's um it's a it's a it's an interesting thing to sit with. Um, the one thing that also both of you had talked a lot about, and I'm like, don't ask me about, is uh, is the the topic of like finances and children, uh, because uh, I'm a firm believer that more is more is caught than taught, and um, finances I have a very interesting <laughs> relationship with. I actually had a conversation with another entrepreneurial friend yesterday who's very uh, successful. And he said a friend of his asked him, he's like, do you build wealth from saving or just like earning more? And I'm like, I haven't saved a day in my life. Uh, I always just make more than <laughs> make more than I need. But that's always a hamster wheel, uh, kind of, so to speak. So on the topic of entitlement uh, is, is, yeah, I definitely don't have an answer. I'm definitely trying to live as, as authentically as I can. And again, have an awareness around the privilege of, of how we live. Um, and then, yeah, don't ask me about how I teach finances because I'm not a great example of that. So, so actually, I think, you know, on that topic, I mean, you said, hey, every time there's a question that doesn't sit well with me, there's something deeper there. And actually, so this is something that came up in the last literally two podcasts. And I think, I, I feel like we're hitting on something here because I don't think anybody feels like they have the answer, right? Like Chris, everyone we've talked to so far, you know, in the podcast, outside of the podcast, nobody feels like they have the answer, but guess what? You're fucking doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Hey, you're yeah. you're like, you know, you were successful. You decide, hey, I'm gonna go to a farm and start a farm. I mean, that's crazy, right? In in today's society, which is awesome. And then you're like, hey, we're doing all these amazing things. But hey, you know, I I don't know what I'm doing about finance. I don't see. I think you do know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> I think you do know what you're doing. I think, but but I think everyone has this like imposter complex around we don't know what we're doing with finances or how to teach that or something but i feel like at the end of the day we're all teaching it whether or not we believe it or not what you are doing it like your daughter's seeing that whether you whether you think it or not and so i think that's really curious it's like hey you you don't think that hey i'm, I'm dialed on finance or you know like hey i have this strategy but like dude i think you're you're doing it right now and i think that's a, a pretty like eye-opening thing i I appreciate it. I mean, I, I think for me, one of the biggest things I've been sitting with as of late, I think about my mortality a lot uh, and a lot through like the lens of my mortality. And, and Chris knows this. I, I delivered a talk, um, you know, rather recently about it where I really kind of tried to metabolize it. And I'm at a state, I've played my cards right for the most part in my life where, you know, I'm in a position where I do meaningful work. I have very meaningful relationships. I have beautiful relationship my daughter with my wife like i i've done enough like if i found myself on my deathbed today i can confidently say i've done enough as far as a dent in this world and i'm excited to do more i hope to live till i'm 80 but i've done enough i am enough but i the i can't confidently say i have enough and that is my relationship with money and my relationship with enoughness in that domain is something that I know I need to figure out. Otherwise, I will forever be on that hamster wheel of, mm -hmm. okay, here's where I'm at now. I make that million, that 5 million, that 10 million, fantastic. There's always more, there's always more. Um, and I'm just in a place where I'm trying to cultivate more space, simplicity, and ease in my life. And I know that will not be possible until I have a good enough relationship with enough um, in the context of, what I have in finances and um, those kind of things. And it's, so it's just always interesting to be, hear other people's philosophy on money. Um, for me, there's a saying that some people's lives 
are examples while others are warnings. I watched my parents do nothing from an experience perspective. We didn't go on any trips when I was young. Um, like they don't travel at all. They have handful of million, you know, a couple million dollars in the bank now as a result of like physical labor. So they're not like smart investors and that kind of stuff. But now they find themselves in a position where they can't utilize that money in any way. They're not in a, in a you know, from a, a health and wellness perspective, they can't go to Italy. Uh, like you're not going to go down the cobblestones of Rome on a, with a walker. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, looking at them as an example, um, I haven't like violently said like, hey, I'm not going to save any money, but I've always prioritized like as much as possible living life, living in the moment because nothing is guaranteed. Um, and there's a great book from Bill Perkins, which has really been making the rounds of like die with zero. I've had a similar type philosophy, um, but he did a beautiful job putting it in a, in a book. And, uh, you know, one of his philosophies as well, which I think is important, is like you can do the right thing at the wrong time. Like in your 20s is when you should be traveling, living in hostels, having those experiences. Um, you know, when you're 30, maybe that's more focused on family and relationships. Um, and uh, yeah, you don't want to be sitting on a huge nest egg of cash when you're 75 and you can't enjoy it. So that's there's a lot to unpack there. Psychology of Money has been an amazing book that I I've that read a handful of times to get a better understanding of, of my relationship with money. But again, mm-hmm. that's one area of my life I, I feel like I haven't locked down yet, as opposed to like other areas. I just shared with Ben and our the rest of our forum the other day. Morgan Housel actually just started a podcast. I don't know if you saw that, Jason, but he's no, uh, I didn't. I think he's like ten or twelve episodes in, and he's like, I'm not sure if how long this is going to last, and then he's just really <laughs> leaning into it now, and it's fantastic. And it's just him talking awesome. about some of the concepts from the book. So, um, and then yeah, Die with Zero, uh, also something I shared with my EO forum. Um, I, I got so much value. That was a, uh, I think Ryan Holiday calls them a, a quake book. I mean, that was a, that was what it was for me. I mean, it really completely shifted my mindset mm. on saving, investing, retirement, especially post sale of my business and, and how yeah. I'm going to, uh, initially I wasn't going to deploy the funds, so to speak, you know, I was just going to like let them sit in savings and earn interest and try and live off the interest. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I earned that money. I worked for that money. And 100%. what would it why, why not spend it, you know, and get to the end of life and who knows when that's going to come. Um, and yeah, it, so it's been a, that was a really paradigm shifting book for me. So, yeah, no, Chris, one of the things I wanted to dive into it, and I kind of get this as a potentially reoccurring theme, I maybe just dive into it or talk about it a little more, but happy, but not satisfied, I think is something that a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs specifically that, that I'm kind of getting, because everyone says, Hey, I don't have it figured out, but but we're talking with people who to the general public got it fucking figured out. Right. But all of them are saying, you know, it's like the, the saying, um, uh, there's still a taller mountain said the man standing on the tallest mountain. Right. It's like, there's always going to be something bigger. And especially I think that the internal drive and passion inside entrepreneurs and inside people that build things is there's always going to be something greater, but how can we still achieve happiness with understanding that there's still going to be something greater that I want to strive for. Um, you know, we've talked to people on here and outside of the podcast that, that, um, you know, they made it right, but then they're not doing anything and they lose their passion and they're trying to find themselves and, and, um, they don't feel that spark or that energy anymore because they're not trying to strive or they're not trying to build. Um, so I just think that's a really interesting, um, I think again, every single person we've talked to, it's, it, it kind of this reoccurring theme of, Hey, how do we find happiness, but still be unsatisfied? 
and, and what's that balance? Great question. It's a big one. I don't know if I. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the one thing is even just like defining happiness, because uh, that's such a big kind of can be a big like nebulous term, and what happiness means to you is what different than maybe what it means to me, mm-hmm. and and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I generally, I'm like genuinely very happy. Uh, I mean, I have tough days, man. My life is chaos sometimes, uh, but uh, but like by and large, it's. Very, I've, I've, I've always lived a pretty happy life. I've been blessed in many regards, but I'm more. I've, there's more depth to my life now than ever uh, when it comes to like actual doing work that's meaningful, having meaningful relationships. And I'm excited of like the compounding nature of that. I was I was sitting with it this morning. Of you know, I'm gonna have like nineteen thousand meals with my wife if I live to the age of eighty. Um, and because I, we got married at 27, if I can live to 80, which is the average lifespan, um, you know, and bank on doing one meal a day with her, which I think is conservative, that's 19,000 meals. Um, like, how can I bring more like intention and presence into those meals? And also the excitement of like, I've, we've been together for 11 years. I love her more than, oh, it's, it's crazy. I looked at her the other day and started crying. Uh, and I'm not like an emotional mushy guy per se, and just like the compounding nature of, of relationships. We talk about compounding when it comes to wealth, but rarely do we talk about the compounding nature of like relationships and love and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I find myself in a position where I'm, I'm, there's a lot of depth that, um, I've cultivated over the last few years and definitely I'm excited to see what's available as I continue to to uh, go through life. So, um, but yeah, another question of like happiness and striving for more is it's always, uh, it's it's always very top of mind, especially in a, an environment like this of entrepreneurs. 19,000 meals is an interesting concept. I haven't heard anybody kind of extrapolate it out to that extent, but going back to our, our mutual friend, Jim Shields, the concept of mm-hmm. 18 summers. I mean, that one really resonated with me as well. You know, your children, you're only gonna have 18 summers with them in their childhood. Um, how are you really making the most of that that time and those limited opportunities? And, and so you've extrapolated that out into to meals with your wife, which is 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 awesome. So well, the eighteen summers thing is is such a powerful concept that when I share with others, because I told Jim, so his book used to be called Board Meetings, and we told him years ago, it's a terrible title um, because uh, it was actually Ryan Holiday. We were in a, a session together, and Ryan's like, the actual title of the book is somewhere in the book. Like you need to find it. Um, and 18 summers was, was like a throwaway line in the book. And we're like, dude, like that, that's what's landing for all of us. The word 18, like the series of words, 18 summers. Um, so anyways, they've leaned into that and it is such a powerful concept though. When I share it with others, they're like, man, that really lands. And that used to be like the guiding thing too, of like, oh crap, I have until the age of 18 to like get this right. Um, and, or that's all the time I have. There's a great blog post by Tim Urban called like the long tail of relationships mm-hmm. and how much time you spend with your parents while you're 18. And like, you spend very little after that and all that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately what I've come to like realize as I, I sit with that, that saying over the last year or two is like, if you get the first 18 summers, right, so to speak, or that first 18 years of that relationship, right. You have there's there's a lot of beautiful things when your children are 20, 25, 30, 35, like the relationship shifts. Um, it's just very hard to have a relationship with your child when they're 30 if you didn't get the first 18 years right. So I looked at it as like this finite thing. I was like, oh my God, as a parent, 
I have till the age of 18 and then they won't care about me. And that's, that's not necessarily true. I have a lot of friends that have kids in their twenties, thirties, forties who like got it right for those first few, first few years. And, and one friend specifically, his name's Donnie Wilson. I emailed him a couple months ago and he's like, Oh, I'm on a three week RV trip with my son in Europe. And his son's like 32. And I'm like, dude, that is like the greatest that you've given me That's hope so cool. that like, you know, at 18, the kids aren't going to throw you away as long as you, you again, did the right things in those first important yeah. years. And those critical Build the years. foundation for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Ben, so I hope you're taking notes over there. Yeah. This is summer one with Kenny. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote it down. I, 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 what, so what is the actual name of the audiobook? I, Zoe and I are going to listen to it on the way up to the cabin this weekend. Is it, is it family board meetings or is it 18 summers? I think, I think it's eight, they changed it to 18 summers. They actually just released the book. It was weird. They wrote the book 10 years ago and kind of re-released it with a publisher a couple weeks ago and hit number one on Wall Street Journal's bestseller list, which I've known yeah. Jim and uh, Jamie, the, the authors, for years. It caught me by surprise. because uh, And I was happy as hell because I'm like, this is an incredibly profound principle. Uh, and they're both incredible parents and incredible people. So, uh, But it should be called 18 Summers. I think I found it for the listeners. It's called The Family Board Meeting. You have 18 summers to create lasting connection with your children. So there you go for the. For well, at least they used it as a subtitle. I'm still going to give them hell for not using it as a title, but it is what it is. It's a better title too. I agree with you on that one, but uh, we'll, we'll be listening to that one on the way up to the cabin. It was so cool to see their success and, and they, they shared on social media when I think they're uh, someone in their, their publishing side of the business was, was sharing with them that they landed at number one. And that was super cool to see not only their reaction, but the reaction of their children to that news. So um, yeah. super happy for them. I, I want to, you mentioned something way back and I want to kind of dive into it. Um, I think you, you said you spent a good portion of your early years hustling. And I wanted to know if, uh, in addition to that, are there any other key principles or values that you hope to instill in Ava to help guide her towards her own success? Yeah. Um, you know, I have, so when I first became a father, um, I was lost. I was overwhelmed. I was in a really tough spot business-wise, relationship-wise with my wife. Like there's a saying that when one door closes, another one opens, but it sucks to be stuck in the hallway. That was a very dark hallway for me at the time in many regards. And um, the first couple of years were very challenging um, as a father, so much so that I told my wife, I wanted to have a second child at one point in time, but then I was also honest with her. I'm like, below the surface here is to feel like I had a second chance at like the first two, three years. Because again, I, I feel like um, there were some things I would have done differently uh, in that regards. But um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I guess, parenting in, in general, when I looked at, at it back then, I tried to consume all the blog posts of here's the top 20 things to teach your kids and all this kind of stuff. And I've almost embraced this like Bruce Lee philosophy of parenting instead. And Bruce Lee had this quote of like, I'm not scared of a man who knows 10,000 kicks. I'm scared of a man who knows like has done one kick 10,000 10, times. Um, so there's only a couple like core principles that I try to teach consistently over and over and over again. Um, so one of them is, is like curiosity. Curiosity is a huge thing in our family, not only curiosity as far as what's going on within yourself and awareness and that kind of stuff, uh, but like curiosity in, in others. Uh, following that curiosity is a, is a huge thing. Uh, I'm big on mantras. And ever since my daughter was really young, being a girl, 
I would drill her on the way to school of like, what makes you beautiful? And she knows and picked and like, she's embraced this, you know, throughout the years, because I girls have a hard time with beauty, especially in today's social media landscape and that kind of stuff. But like all all the things that make her beautiful are things that are within her control. It's how she shows up for others for friends. And um, like, how she shows up in relationships and that kind of stuff has nothing to do with like exterior beauty. Um, so there's like things like that, or uh, one that's been coming up recently, and I'm glad I laid this groundwork a long time ago, um, is uh, you could choose courage or you could choose comfort um, when faced with, you know, adversity. Uh, like the hard life is a good life. Um, and, and the hard life is paved, paved with like hard conversations, hard decisions, hard emotions. Um, so actually like teaching her that in that sense of like, life's going to be hard. Um, but those things are worth it. It leads to the easy life and it leads to the good, uh, sorry, it leads to the good life. The easy life is, is ultimately the hard life as you, you know, look on a, a, on a further scale. So, um, another one, I, this one was really meaningful recently was, and I didn't know, I talked to my wife about it. I'm like, I don't know if this is actually a good thing to teach her because I'll have, sometimes I teach a principle to her. And I'm like, there could be a different perspective or holes in this philosophy, but that secrets make you sick. Um, I don't want my daughter to hold on to any secrets. She doesn't have to share them all with us as parents, but she needs some kind of avenue that maybe she shares a couple things with this person, a couple of things with that person. Uh, I've come to learn in my own life that like, yeah, if you hold on to, to secrets or heart heavy emotions or whatever the case may be, I mean, that stuff shows up in pretty powerful ways as you age. Um, and that one came up rather recently, um, in our family and has been used. So there's a couple of those principles that just teach time and time again, um, how to achieve goals. So not necessarily the goal setting, but breaking down, um, a goal. We have a, a couple C's, um, that we use as like a framework, um, which has worked really well. So yeah, there's a couple of things. I have a just quick general question. Yeah, no, I, I, especially with the, with the farm thing and something I just like to ask. And, um, so uh, talk to me about, um, chores, uh, are, are there chores, uh, and are, is there allowance? How do you teach work and money at, at that early age and how are you doing it? Or what, what's your philosophy on that? Dude, I told you not to ask me about money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so we don't have allowances. Uh, yeah. We haven't leaned into that. Um, I, I, I mean, I probably should. She's of age now where it's probably a good conversation to have. I had one friend that um, would like, he issues an allowance and then he charges tax on that allowance. And then a certain portion goes to like <laughs> savings, a certain portion goes. Yeah. So like he's really getting his kids, uh, you know, up and running when it comes to like understanding the world of finances. Um, but I mean, there's definitely... Yeah, we don't call them chores, but there's responsibilities. We all have responsibilities in the family. Uh, my wife plays, you know, uh, a key role and has key responsibilities. I do, and and she does as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there there are a set list of kind of responsibilities. But the biggest thing is for me is I definitely don't want it, the energy to be like this um, top down. You know, I'm giving you burdens or I'm giving you a list of things to do. It's more pulling out and seeing collectively as a family, like here's all the moving parts that's required to have like a happy, healthy, you know, life, so to speak. And we all need to contribute to that. Um, so yeah, we, we position it more. And I, though I've come to realize like language is a really important thing for me, um, specifically in the context of kind of parenting. So even I was talking to my wife, my wife and I were debating this, this idea of she's like, you never discipline 
our daughter, and I don't like the word discipline. Um, instead, I very much like course correct. Um, and like that speaks, that feels much more alive in me as far as like a better approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, words mean a, a, a lot. So um, yeah, even the notion of chores doesn't feel like it lands for me as well as like we all have responsibilities um, and we all share them. So I, I like that. I want to dive into maybe your communication on that. That's something that's really interesting to me. Um, so, you know, like, hey, we all, we as a family, your, your communication is, hey, we as a family have responsibilities and maybe some of these responsibilities are going to be yours to help support the overall family. Not like, you know, like when I, when I was growing up and I was used like, Hey, you need to go shovel the barn because oh, yeah. that's what you need to do. And that's what I'm telling you to do. And you need to take out the trash that, you know, the communication was authoritarian. This is what you need to do. And you need to go do it now as opposed to, Hey, our family needs this whole thing. So like, how do you communicate that? Cause there, it's the same outcome at the end, but as a kid, it's not, it's like, Oh, this sucks. I got to go do this thing. Uh, talk to us about the communication. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. I mean, I think we have a, I'll say a unique approach um, to communication, but she's of age being 11. And this has been the case for a long time where, um, you know, I don't believe in that kind of top down parenting. I think we've all been subject to that probably at some point in time of like, do this and you're questioning why you're doing it or why you're doing it a certain way. And it's because like, I said so. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily jive with me as an entrepreneur. I'm a freedom seeker. As a result, I've completely gone in the opposite direction. So for me, like even now, our daughter just moved into some kind of summer holidays. And I said, you know, what do you think is a reasonable um, time on like iPad? Um, so we'll check every night, like your amount of time so we can monitor that. But what do you think is a reasonable amount of time on your iPad? And what's a reasonable bedtime? Um, now that we're moving into, you know, a different season of your year, which is which is summer. Um, and she came up with like two things, which were, I mean, the, the bedtime was super reasonable and iPad time was even more reasonable than I would have actually given her. And, you know, we also know that these are up for discussion uh, and debates and all that kind of stuff as we kind of move uh move along. So it's, I mean, it's similar to like us as, as leaders in our organizations, right? I mean, if you have that top down giving direction, it doesn't work all that great, as opposed to if it's a collaborative type of environment, especially if you give them the opportunity to like come up with a, a solution that works for them, then there's full ownership in that. So I have a very similar approach and even it's, it's funny. I know, um, Chris, you made mention of like, you use a lot of like EOS and like your personal life as far as like goal setting and that kind of stuff. And I forget the exact framework, but when it comes to responsibilities, you know, and we have conversations of it, it's like, do you have like the capacity? Do you have the skill set? And like, do you want it? Yeah. GWC. Do you get it? Do you want it? Do you have the capacity to do it? That's the, uh, that's it. That's the, so, so. Yeah, I go a little off script every once in a while because I don't remember the the acronym beautifully, which I love about EOS. It's very acronym based. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So I mean, for us, conversation is is, is and communication is huge. Um, so we and I didn't have that. So the my wife and I did not have that as a model when it kind of came to our households and relationships in general. We got together; it was a shit show. Uh, we didn't know how to talk. I would we'd get into fights and I bottle up, she bottle up and we just, it would be a stalemate all the time. You know, we've done a tremendous amount of work uh, in the context of our relationship. And I remember specifically like a year ago, her and I having a discussion about something and she was getting emotionally charged about it. And I was like holding space beautifully 
and we were working through like what we were working through. And I was having an out of body experience of like, oh my God, we're communicating right now. Like it's, this is the most 20 years of personal development. Like we're actually communicating. And my daughter was in the other room and I was trying to talk so loud so that my daughter would wake up and hear <laughs> that we're like what proper communication come, would look like. Um, come witness this amazing communication <laughs> that's happening right now. Dude, it was one of the proudest moments of my life. So uh, so yeah, we, we did, didn't grow up in an environment with strong communication and strong communication is a huge tenant, one could say, as far as what we're trying to pass along to our daughter. And she's, dude, she's light years ahead of like where I was at 36. Uh, it's crazy, so. That's awesome. I love that you extrapolated the the what you know. I guess for me as a business concept in regards to leadership styles and um, thinking about I'm going to use subordinate because I can't think of a better word. You know, in in your organization and letting them weigh in on the decision making process, influence the decision, and then once the decision is then made with their input, now they're bought in. And mm -hmm. you know, I think that's just a very effective way um, to go about that and, and incorporating that into your parenting style is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a philosophy uh, from a friend of mine, Brad Peterson, who um, I've known for t 12 years. He's an incredible leader. Um, and he has this philosophy of like one, three, one. Like, like one is like, what's the problem? What are three solutions that you're suggesting? suggesting and what is your recommendation? Um, and we apply something similar in our, our family again, so that she's not coming to me with all the problems. Um, I'm giving her like the space to come up with a creative solution and then buy into the actual direction we go in. Jason, can you say that again? Can you say those again? I'm going to, I'm, I'm piping those down as notes for podcast, uh, uh, notes here. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the philosophy is called one, three, one. Um, and basically it's because as you know, as leaders, your team is always coming to you with problems uh, and challenges that you need to solve and decision fatigue is real. And you need to empower them to, to, you know, take the lead and, and make some of these decisions. Um, so the framework is they, one is they come to you with, here's the core problem, like this distill it down to a core question. Here's the three possible solutions. And here's the one recommendation I think we should do. Um, so I'll, a lot of my friends have a similar type philosophy that like, their team can't come to them, ask them for something unless they have a one, three, one framework already built out. Um, and if they do, then, then they'll, they'll talk about it. Um, so you just put the onus on them. Does the, does the team member, so the team member obviously comes with the three possible solutions. Do they also come with the one recommendation or is that coming from you yeah. as the leader? Hey, here's the one recommendation nope. I would recommend. They have to they come up with three solutions and here's the one I would, I'm, I'm leaning towards. And then after that, you as a leader, you hear all that and you're like, yeah, I, I agree or no, I think this other one of your three solutions or here's a fourth solution. But it just Amazing. it makes things a lot easier uh, from a leadership perspective. And we, again, uh, uh, apply that into our family to some degree. That's amazing. I love that. Well, we're coming uh, to, we're, we're about 12 minutes off from from Ben's hard stop here. Uh, I, I, I can't not ask this question, Jason, having you as an expert uh, in, in the realm of networking. <laughs> what i i gotta know what what advice would you give ava about cultivating meaningful relationships and fostering a strong social and professional support network what would i tell her and i know at 11 she's probably not ready for this right but i mean that's the the concept of this podcast no, you dude, know my, it, my daughters it, are my daughters are 15 and 11 the concept is like at some point in the future this is a repository they can come back to it they're 18 they're 25 
you know, and, and be able to hear straight from the horse's mouth. Like, here's, here's what I wanted you to, to know about this, that, that you've learned in your experience. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been baked into her and I can say that in confidence. And again, along that whole notion of like more is caught than taught, I can give her these principles, but obviously, as you know, I live, you know, making relationships a priority and I can say with confidence that it's already baked into her because about two years ago when she was nine, um, she saw an interaction between uh, me and a friend of mine named Kelsey Ramsden and my daughter afterwards said, I hope one day to have friends like that. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Like she knows. Yeah. She knows what like a beautiful supportive friendship looks like. Um, and how that is like just paramount. Um, and I mean, my life, yeah, my life is all relationships. Everything I do, she comes to the MMTs. She sees how people interact with me. She sees how 95% of my social time is in that kind of that peer group. So, uh, it's, it's been baked into her at a young age. And like I said, I mean, that statement was like, okay, you, you got it. All right. Well, she has the privilege of, of seeing you as a role model <laughs> set, set the example. So maybe I should have rephrased the question. What amazing advice can you give to my children about how they should develop? <laughs> but that's just, I think it's through that, you know, what, what about, what about people that have, you know, children that, that maybe aren't able to, for whatever reason, you know, see their parent expanding their, their social or professional support networks or, or they don't get that, that firsthand view that Ava has the, the, privilege of seeing for you. Cause I think, I think you're exactly right. It's going to be baked into her. She's seeing how much time and effort you invest in that and the value that you get out of it. Um, yeah. you know, what about, what about other parents and their children that don't necessarily have that luxury? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there, there, I mean, there's a lot of sayings and a lot of quotes and all that kind of stuff that I could share, but I mean, at the end of the day, she knows and what I would share in most kind of contexts is like nobody does it alone right you know the whole philosophy of like if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together um and that again from a bruce lee philosophy on on parenting she's been hit with that ten thousand times uh in ten thousand ways so it's uh yeah and i everything i we talk about the you know uh secrets make you sick it's all about leaning on somebody else like everything comes back to the relationship stuff so it's almost hard to like pull it out and like have a beautifully packaged like one line so to speak but the just the notion of nobody does it alone um and even like you know years ago in uh, in one of our um mmts a really good friend of mine said like i'm not self-made i'm community made uh, and this is an individual who's like quadriplegic and he's like he, is community made because he can't do what most people can do without help and support. Um, so yeah, nobody does it alone, I think is, is probably the, the one thing that I would continue to hit home. But again, I'd hit, I'd hit it home in 10,000 different ways. That's awesome. Yeah. The one that came to mind for me was it's not what you know, it's who, you know, you know, that concept as well. And just yeah, uh, yeah. having an amazing resource like MMT and and just the incredibly high caliber people that are in there. I mean, anytime I've had a challenge or opportunity and I was uncertain of how to move forward, like there's always someone there and and just willing to uh, at a moment's notice help, you know, and and guide me with through their experience or their advice. It's been it's been tremendous. The actual act, and this is probably one thing I I don't know how conscious I'll have to be with 
with her in this regard, but it is such a challenge in this circle um, is, uh, and I'm not speaking for you, Ben, but like asking for help is really, really challenging for a lot of folks. Um, and that is, I mean, something I've gotten much better at over the last two to three years. Um, but I mean, that's another, you can build the best relationships in the world, build a world-class network of people hungry to help you. Uh, but if you don't step up and you don't fill that gap of actually being able to ask for help, it's pointless, it's useless. So that would definitely be something I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that, uh, that's instilled in my daughter next. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that question. Well, Jason, I, I love the amount of, uh, emphasis you put on relationships. I, I mean, that's the one thing I, I guess I took as the overarching theme of, hey, you know, what would you tell other people or what would you say to other people? What's your advice? And when I just keep kept hearing from you, yeah, sure, there's all these quotes and stuff, but you just put so much value on the relationship. And by doing that, you'll find a bunch of stuff to do with them, or you'll find some quotes to, to communicate with them. And every person is probably different, but you just put so much and you can just tell it like permeates out of you the amount of value you put on your relationship with your wife and your kid um and i just i think that's amazing so um you know it's been it's been awesome having you on here and i appreciate it i love that yeah i mean it's funny you bring voice to that because i mean as i reflect on it everything is relationship right it's relationship with oneself it's relationship with an intimate partner it's a relationship with like a family a circle of friends a relationship to a business uh, a relationship to your art or whatever your projects. Um, so I do look at life through that lens. Um, and uh, yeah, it's taken me this far. <laughs> One of the things we mentioned at the beginning, and I just want to make sure to touch on in case you uh, had something uh, revelation or you wanted to share was in regards to goal setting. And I know we mentioned EOS just a little bit earlier. Um, yeah. You know, how do you teach the importance of setting goals and maybe pursuing dreams incorporated into that? And, and are there any personal achievements or experiences that inspired your approach to goal setting? Yeah, I mean, so I don't, so one would have to actually define what goal setting means. Uh, again, maybe getting too a little anal about uh, language, but like I actually don't care about teaching her how like setting goals per se. Uh, Peter Drucker has a saying, which I love, which is there's nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency, something that shouldn't be done at all. I think I, for the most part of my life, pursued goals that didn't belong to me. Um, so teaching my daughter awareness is by far a much bigger focus um, than anything. And if she has awareness, she'll naturally have naturally have indications of things she wants to do uh, and and that kind of stuff. Um, so cult at her age, cultivating that intuition, that awareness uh, is really really important. Um, with that said. Like I was reflecting back on like when I taught her how to ride a bike, teaching her how to achieve goals is actually where my focus is, not so much the actual setting of them. Um, and, you know, goal achievement, uh, I guess the way I broke it down in C's for her. So it's first is like, what's the goal? And then the first C is chunking it down. Uh, so chunking that down into bite-sized pieces. Um, and then it's courage. It requires courage to lean into the unknown, lean into, you know, not being a an expert at something, being a beginner. Um, and then as you lean in with courage, with consistency, doing this thing, eventually it gets comfortable, right? It gets easier. And then once it gets easier, then you can celebrate that. And then you move to that next chunk. And then eventually you hit actually, you know, that big goal. Um, but that to me at a high level, I haven't really baked out that framework, but 
it works and it makes sense. And then as long as I could teach that and as she achieves those different things, celebration is huge. Like I want her in her body to like, what does it feel like to achieve something you didn't think was possible? Like we went uh, zip lining. I'm terrified of heights, but we use that framework. When I taught her how to ride a bicycle, we use that framework. Um, so when she wants to achieve anything, start a business or what have you, like we're going to use that framework or some variation of that framework. So, um, so yeah, awareness to make sure that she's actually pursuing goals that belong to her and that are important because, you know, there's no point in spinning your wheels, uh, and giving her a framework, um, and like giving her lots of opportunities to work that framework and actually achieving goals is, is really important to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, was there anything else that you had in mind that you wanted to share in regards to parenting or conveying wisdom? No, to I, the next I, I think all three today? of us, like, I, I'd like to ask you guys questions uh, as well. So, I mean, I think we could go on all day, which would be amazing. But I mean, just a hats off to both of you for leaning into this. It's important um, to have these conversations. It was important to me to listen to your um, episode, Chris and Ben, I'm going to listen to yours and just to be a fly on the wall of like, what are we doing this for? And how do we, you know, really like our, our legacy is our children. Um, it's, uh, it's important. So um, I just want to commend both of you guys for investing time and energy into this project. Well, thanks for being on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Right. I had a quick question for you, Jason. What, what are, uh, just for the, the listeners out there, if they want to learn more about you, what are you working on right now? Um, where can people connect with you or learn more? Uh, well, most social media platforms is just Jason Gaynard, J-A-Y-S-O-N-G-A-I-G-N-A-R-D. Um, a lot of relationship stuff in the context of, of business. I've metabolized it and created frameworks that can be found at Community Made uh, on the podcast there. Um, but yeah, no, my life is pretty full. Uh, if anybody really wants to reach out to me, I'm, I'm sure they can they can do that. But, uh, but yeah, nothing to sell. I'm just a companion on the path trying to figure it out like everybody else. So. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It was amazing. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Leading to Legacy podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to share the show with friends, family, and colleagues who might benefit from the wisdom and insights shared by our incredible guests. Until next time, remember that in-person transfer of wisdom, knowledge, and experience is not guaranteed. The timing may not ever feel right. The stars may never align to share that valuable insight. The time has come to do the work to ensure that what you've learned in all of your years on this planet is distilled and packaged for the benefit of the next generation. It's going to be hard, but a great life is built by doing hard things. This may be the most important thing you ever do, and the time to begin is now. <laughs>